This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And this is Father Gregory Pine. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi. Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, I'd say well. Yeah. Just well. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to like do an overblown very well because then I'll have to justify it. If I say well, that's kind of like middling. That yeah. doesn't require too much in the way of response and I can kind of slip to the background of the conversation and change it later. I could, yeah, yeah. I could also what I revise. meant by well was actually miserably <laughs> or what I meant by well is the best I've ever been. Yeah, exactly. Top notch. Yeah. Yeah. Over That's the moon. Great. Well, you've moved back. I have. That's kind of cool. It is. It is cool. Yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm pleased. Okay. Not hesitantly pleased. Just, just pleased. Just happy. Yeah. Just, back just happy. in the United States. Yeah. Not like deep exhalation. That was wild. But in the sense of like, ah, oh, yes, I belong here. Maybe. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And you're here too. I'm, I'm back. You're back. From New Hampshire. <laughs> In Washington, D.C. That's right. From New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a little different than like, maybe, I don't know. Switzerland, New Hampshire, both have mountains. It's cold. It's both, but in both places, it's cold. Lots of snow. Um, people, people shouldn't live in either place. <laughs> People in, people in both places have a mildly dissociative reputation. They're like, leave me alone in my valley oh, in yeah. Switzerland. And in New Hampshire, they're like, leave me alone on my homestead. Yeah. So that's great for it's making sense. It's basically the same place. So if you ever thinking of going to Switzerland, yep. don't bother. Just go to New Hampshire. Go to New Hampshire. Yeah, book that ticket for Concord or Nashua or... There are not airports. Yeah, I was thinking the bus station. Oh, yeah. sure. Uh-huh. Okay, good uh-huh. talk. Well, great. Well, now we've gotten that out of our uh-huh. system. Uh, we're not here to talk about Switzerland, which we have talked about a lot. Yeah. And we're not here to talk about New Hampshire, which, which we've, we've talked, talked about, about with some, some frequency. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, we're also not here to talk about how you're doing. <laughs> we're, we're here to talk about <laughs> how, the, I'm doing. how I'm doing. It's me time. <laughs> we're here to talk about the question of reception of Holy Communion. Yep. And the reason for that is, well, one, because it's a good question to receive Holy Communion. I think uh, maybe I'll say this just like super quickly at the outset. There's... Um, as Catholics, we probably well know that there's an obligation to go to Mass every Sunday, but there isn't an obligation to receive Holy Communion every Sunday. And in fact, there are certain parameters that are um, set for our for receiving Holy Communion and receiving it well. And one of the things that I'm sure you have, perhaps others have on their own, but I know I've experienced in talking with various people when I was doing vocation work or when I was doing campus ministry work or at the parish is this question of, um, should or when should I receive Holy Communion, or is it always good to be receiving Holy Communion? Um, now, in this like in our contemporary age, there seems to be a default to just receive. But even in the history of the Church, that wasn't the case. So that question um, ought to be considered, especially in light of consider you know considering sinfulness examination of conscience, am I well prepared, the fast beforehand, there are a whole host of facets that come into our decision making in receiving and preparing to receive and receiving Holy Communion well. So in my mind, that's kind of where I am is questions have been regularly posed to me. Is it good to be receiving? Is it not? So let's talk about that. I don't know the background in your mind, if you're in the same place or what, but yeah, yeah, no, I think it's actually, I think that's one of the gifts of this podcast is that oftentimes in Catholic conversations, we limit ourselves to just asking whether it's permitted or whether it's forbidden. But I think one thing that we try to do here is talk about how it's good. 
yeah. and then conform ourselves to the good at stake. And I think that with uh, reception of the Blessed Sacrament, you know, reception of Holy Communion, just such a question is very well placed because people are thinking in kind of legalistic or juridical terms. It's like, what do I have a right to and how do I vindicate that right? And then how do I look out for myself and get mine? But it's like, no, 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 we're talking about God and the Sacrament of Holy Communion. We're talking about our Lord Jesus Christ who, you know, takes our humanity and then conceals it beneath the appearance of bread and wine so that we can, you know, partake of him. So how do we approach this with a kind of holy fear and trembling, a holy wonder and awe, reverence, veneration, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, the, the question as you frame it, the good is a great way to go. Yeah. And I, with that and thinking about the good and our reception of Holy Communion or receiving of our Lord Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity, there's, there's a sort of two, there are two people, I guess we could say that ought to be considered as we continue to talk about the various facets of it. And one is our Lord, of course, you know, receiving our Lord has there in that sort of action, there are certain things that are required of us in order to present ourselves. Like we can even think here, super basic, like reception of Holy Communion is for those who are in communion with the church. So this is why non-Catholics don't receive Holy Communion, you know, so there's a prerequisite there. There are others that we're going to talk about, but also with respect to myself, you know, so there's there's the, the sort of adoration, worship and reception of, of Christ. And am I prepared for that, but also for me, like, am I in a state of grace? Am I, have I f observed the hour fast? You know, these sort of, so there's, it's not just a, this is all about me. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, this is all about Jesus. I mean, it is all about Jesus, but you know what yeah. I mean? There's a dynamic here that we're working. And one of the things I think that when we talk about people not receiving Holy Communion, I think of this too, when I, when I you celebrate a wedding or a funeral mass, I always make the announcement if it's even if it's in the program about the reception of communion just before the just before I distribute, you know, just mm -hmm. alerting people, uh, you know, I say something to the effect that like Catholics who are prepared to receive holy communion are more than welcome to come up. Uh, I say more hopefully more eloquently, but those and then I say for those who aren't prepared and for non-Catholics, I invite you to remain in the pews offer a prayer for, you know, whomever. Um that seems to be sort of like okay and kosher but it, it immediately i think in a lot of people's minds or in their sensibilities brings up the the sort of question of like an exclusionary reality yeah. you know why are some people excluded whether it's because they're catholic or not or whether it's because they're prepared or not so I, maybe let's address that first like are we talking about inclusion exclusion in a sort of contemporary sort of like you're good you're bad so you can't and you can kind of thing or like why why even bother having this conversation does it not like separate. Yeah, yeah. No, I think um, we have lost the capacity to distinguish without feeling like we are discriminating in the 21st century. So if you make a distinction between person A and person B, on whatever basis, people tend to think that you're discriminating, right? It's like you can't possibly say that just women get pregnant, because what about trans men? They also get pregnant. It's just like, or like, whatever we're talking about, you know, it's just like, ah, you know, like, yeah. and a certain point when you have enough of those conversations, you feel like you're losing your grip on reality. It's like, no, no, no. I'm just saying that this is different from that. That's all I'm saying. You know, I'm just saying that men are different from women, or I'm just saying, you know, whenever anyone hears difference, they think one is better, one is worse. You're discriminating. That's prejudicial, can't be tolerated. And so in the setting of the church's life, when we say that communion is for, you know, Catholics, like you said, who are disposed to receive, we're making a distinction on the basis of God's interaction with his people and then the sacramental dispensation and our approach to it or our reception of it. And that's a totally valid thing to make. 
insofar as it's how God instituted it, and we're always safe when we act downstream of God's sovereign choice. <laughs> um, sure. So it's just like, you know, the Lord instituted His church. It's the provisioner of the sacraments. The sacraments are each instituted with a particular end. The sacrament of penance is for um, healing post-baptismal sin, especially those of a grave nature. The sacrament of Holy Communion is for you know, incorporating us more perfectly in the mystical body to which we already pertain by our baptism and the grace which is at work in our lives. It, it burns up light faults and small, like, venial sins, and it also kindles, the, like, the flame of charity more, you know, uh, ardently into flame. But it, but it doesn't heal in the strict sense in the way that, that penance does right. or in the, you know, the kind of profound sense that penance does. And so given that we have been entrusted with this gift, we make distinctions on the basis of it, and that will lead to certain exclusions, but even those exclusions are ordered to further healing and growth for the persons themselves who are excluded. So I don't know, that's something yeah. that often gets left out. Yeah, and there we're talking too about a worthiness, right? I mean, you, basically the, the big question here is whether or not we're in a state of grace when we receive Holy Communion. Um, have we committed sin? Have we gone to confession to receive our Lord's healing and mercy in the confessional? Um, and I think that's, we can't lose sight of the fact that we're we're sinners and that like our actions and what we choose to do and not do, whether it's for the good or for the bad, um, it it has consequences and, and it puts us in a particular state in our relationships with God, with others, with ourselves. And because the reception of Holy Communion is such a sacred moment in our lives that we're actually consuming the body, blood of Christ, um, we need to be well prepared for that. And it's not... Uh, this is the other thing, like, it's not a right. Mm -hmm. You know, in a, in a sense, the baptized have a right to the sacraments, but there are even provisions there. Like, it's, uh, you don't get to walk into a church and say, give me the Eucharist. You know, our Lord gives it as a gift, and we're invited to enter into that gift and to receive it as a gift, but there are conditions on it. And it's not a condition in a sort of manipulation. It's a condition in a sort of let your soul, body, who you are as a person, be prepared to receive the Godhead, the God most high, you know, God most high, our Lord who has sacrificed himself on the cross. Um, so we, yeah, I think it's just good to to call it for what it is. It's like, we need to be prepared. Yeah. And often, and this is leading me to to our, to our next point, this question of like, well, if I don't, there's sort of like an embarrassment mm -hmm. reality. Um, but there, I think it's just, it just, we just have to say like there are consequences for our actions, both good and bad. Yeah, yeah. And if we're not prepared to receive communion or if we are, there's, there's, there's there's a way out if we're not, and there's also a beauty when we are prepared. But this then begs the question of like, well, if I'm not going to receive because of this sin or habitual sin, or I didn't observe the fast before, you know, the hour fast before, like, what do I do? I sit in the pew? Do I come up with my arms crossed? I'm going to say a word about that in a second. Uh, but like, what do I, how do I sort of avoid the embarrassment? I don't know if it's this, the case in Switzerland, but I know certainly in parts of Europe, like, coming up for communion is much more of a, like um, people just kind of get up at the same time and come up. So it's less of a sort of, we're getting into a single file queue to like, you know, where everybody you can like see, you know, so in the American church, and I think in the American experience of this, it's, it's very visible when someone does not get up, yeah, yeah. you know? So the, even there we want, like, I can sympathize with that. Well, I don't want to be the one person kneeling in the pews while everybody else processes past me. So yep. what of this embarrassment kind of factor? Yeah, I think we have negative associations with embarrassment because, again, the 21st century has tried to do away with personal guilt, 
we've kind of gone in the direction of corporate guilt and we're all prostrating ourselves before whatever oppressed persons whom we have done wrong historically and we can't wring our hands enough. But but like we've lost a sense of, of personal responsibility, I think. We're always pointing, we're always victimizing, we're always avoiding the question. But at a, at a certain point, we need to be able to say before the Lord, yes, I failed to consent and to cooperate with your grace, and that's bad, and I take responsibility for it because I know that the only way forward in the life of grace is to take responsibility for it. Um, and so that requires a certain spiritual maturity, which the Lord gives us by his grace. You know, like there are graces which come before the grace of justification or the grace of healing, you know, and growth in the sacrament of confession, and those are already at work. And when we you know, when we face up uh, and when we own it, then those graces have a way of fructifying in our life and bringing us to a point where we can really accept the sacramental means that the Lord has appointed for our reconciliation. So I'd say if you experience embarrassment, that's okay. You don't want to wallow in it. You don't want to live there for the rest of your life, but you do want to be able to say before the Lord, yes, I failed. I am sorry. Like that's just, that's the heart of contrition. And contrition itself already, it already announces the presence of charity, which is which is coming um, in its in its fullness as crowned by as effectuated by the sacrament of penance. So I'd say, if you feel embarrassed, okay. I was thinking even of um, when St. Thomas talks about temperance, he, he identifies these two parts of temperance. One he calls anestas, like a kind of virtuousness where you want to incline to the good. And another he calls vericundia, which we usually render as shame. It's like a kind of horror or repulsion before the ugliness of, of sin, of fault, of guilt. Um, and that for him in his mind is a part of a virtue. So I think that we have to we have to sort out what's good in shame and then what's bad in shame and then proceed accordingly. And then, you know, when, when thinking about those persons, that that's that's part of your spiritual growth, your spiritual healing. It's not just accidental to, it's not something just to be set apart on the side as a as a momentary embarrassment. No, it's this is this is part of the story of the Lord's drawing you further up and further in. And so yeah, maybe that that just be like by way of principles, thinking practically, there are any number of ways to do it. Um you know, I'm thinking of people who want to kneel in a congregation where many people stand during um, the offer of the sacrifice, and those people often kind of tuck themselves in a way in a corner, not because they're ashamed of the fact that they're kneeling, but they want to worship, they don't want to make a big deal of it, um, and they kind of just want to avoid the scorn of those who might judge them accordingly. And I think that, like, you, you see other situations like that in the context of the worshiping body. And so maybe it's time to receive Holy Communion. Maybe you sit at the end of the pew. Maybe when the pew in front of you goes up for Holy Communion, you kind of tuck yourself in that pew to get out of the way of your pew. And then when they come back, you tuck yourself back. And, you know, there's like there are many ways to yeah. do it without being obtrusive or without drawing attention to yourself. So, yeah, just I think the, the principal point would be to highlight the fact that, that embarrassment is okay. Shame can be okay when it's done well. But then there are ways to kind of navigate it without drawing too much attention. I don't know. You have further thoughts. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think the point on shame being like an okay thing, it's also, this is me like perhaps doing the the typical Father Jacob Bertrand kind of harsh response, but like, again, the reason for one not being able to receive Holy Communion is not a victim. Like it's because of our own choice. Mm -hmm. And the like you were saying, like the being responsible and owning up to that is part of, it's not a sort of like now you're being punished. It's the reality that if we don't recognize that our sin and what happened, like the effects of our sin, even in our ability to receive Holy Communion, we don't take responsibility for that. There's actually no way, as you were saying, forward because we can't ask for mercy or for healing when we're not ready to say, yeah, I fell or I failed or that sort of thing. And that's, again, it, it, that's not, I don't say it to be like a finger wagging whatever thing, but like there's a beauty, I think, in the sort of 
virtuous quote unquote shame of recognizing, yeah, I failed, I'm not prepared, but in that, the Lord's grace is moving me to be contrite, to beg his mercy. And I, th- I think there's, there's, I mean, we read this in the scriptures, we read it in the lives of the saints, like there's a real beauty to being able to beg God's mercy. And that begins by recognizing like, yeah, this is on me. Um, and I accept those consequences, but I also accept the mercy that's coming, yeah. that awaits me. So that's that, but I think, yeah, I think the practicals that you provide there are are right on, spot on. I do think, so this is a little tangential, but Go for I'm going to yeah, do so what I want anyways. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Um, I do think the sort of habit or the, what, the custom of coming up in the line for Holy Communion with arms crossed for a blessing is actually detrimental, I think for two reasons. I think one is that coming up to receive Holy, that line is not a blessing line. It's mm-hmm. a line to receive Holy Communion. And as a priest, I find it to be a little distracting when I'm trying to distribute the Blessed Sacrament reverently and I hold up the whole look up, someone's arm is crossed, and then I have to put the, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, whatever. It's not the end of the world, but it it kind of disrupts even the, the sort of reverence that I'm trying to hold in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a blessing line either. It's, it, and we all receive a blessing at the end of math. Like it's there. Yeah. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm yeah. just saying like in this context, the, the thing more, more um, that's more to the point is that if people who don't receive, there are a lot of people in my experience around who come up, it's not an infrequent thing where people come up to receive a blessing across their arms. Um, I would imagine that if more people were in the pews and make, things easier for uh, those who are in the pews not be maybe you know because they're people come up maybe because they're not catholic or whatever you know mm-hmm. if if there were if there were a greater population remaining in the pews it would yeah. be easier to make for people at large to make that decision without the worry of ah, i'm the only one who's not going up yeah um, i mean you can go up and receive a blessing too but it seems to me that like i don't know if that's the greatest, yeah, yeah. greatest solution myself. Yeah. But no, I, yeah, that, that, that's a great point. And I was thinking too, like, you know, for those who have been in the situation of, I'm conscious of having committed a grave sin, I am at mass, there's an expectation in the body that everyone receive kind of, you know, like, what am I to do? I think that, you know, we kind of touched on the logistical difficulties of it, the way that some churches are set up, depending on how like thick the, or like how wide the separation between pews is. If you yeah. choose to stay, sometimes people are crawling over you. You're doing that awkward thing where you're putting your knees to the side, trying your best, or you might get out and then shimmy and then reposition and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but that's just kind of like as an individual trying to manage the logistics of it while not trying to draw too much attention to yourself. But oftentimes people are there with others, like a father of a family, for instance. He wants to lead his kids in a way that's that's noble and good. And so he's trying to do it in a way that's discreet, but without, you know, appearing before them less than or inadequate to the responsibilities of a Christian man, a Christian father, and things like that. Those are real. So I, I don't want to, yeah, I, I think when I gave my description, I gave the impression that it was just a logistical matter. But like, no, we like I understand the depth of of shame that does accompany it. Yeah. But I would say too, like when I was at Steubenville, um, you know, there was a kind of culture of men who struggle with uh, habitual, you know, sexual sin with masturbation to not receive. And it was just kind of like a known factor. And honestly, I respected those men a great, great deal to be in the presence of your peers and to kind of out yourself in a, in a you know, it's a tough thing. Yeah. Um, it's just a tough thing. Uh, but to do so with a kind of steadfastness and solidity and to say, like, I'm serious about healing and growing beyond this sin. Like, this is not just a permanent feature of my life. I want to I want to get beyond this. And I believe that the grace of God is sufficient to get me beyond this. And I think one of the things that's going to help me is the sacrifice of the mass. 
being present at a holy thing, even though I myself in this moment am not holy, right? But I believe that drawing near to holy things has an effect. And I think that like the father of a, of a household, you know, even if it's hard, it's especially hard for his wife, you know, who thinks like, am I inadequate to him, you know, for his, you know, sexual needs and things like that. You know, that's, that's just tough. But I think that if you say, I believe in the grace of God, that has real, real effects in the life of your children. They're like, dad's here because he, you know, it's just, oof, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I didn't want to make light of that. I just wanted to yeah drill down. Yeah. And I think that's like what we were talking about. That's the reality of like, I don't know if like ownership is the right word, but like owning the situation. Yeah. There's so many facets uh, that are alive, you know, that we've talked about, but there is just the power and the reality of the witness of, of, of all of that too, of, you know, not just saying, well, I want to receive, so I'm going up and I don't care what the church, you know, I, blah, blah. it's like, well, if that's how we're living our life in that in the moment of reception of Holy Communion, which is supposed to be the source and summit of our life, is that not going to spill forward and or spill over into the rest of the way that we live? Yeah. You know, if we can't, if we're not responsible and ready to sacrifice, you know, our whatever it might be in this in this the height of our relationship with Christ, not sacrifice, but you know what I mean. Yep. Um, then, like, what of the rest yeah. kind of thing? What? How does it set the tenor for everything else that we do that we do and engage in? So, food for thought. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think too, you know, there can be a kind of temptation there to think of oneself as, you know, given the fact that I've persisted in the state of grace, or I think myself to have persisted in the state of grace, because it's not like you can have demonstrative knowledge of your state of graceitude. Um, but, but given these facts, you know, I'm going to receive Holy Communion. And it's, I think some people are made uncomfortable by that logic because they think, okay, it's like what, a spiritual elite. And then for the rest of us, the Holy ploy, you know, we don't have access to, to these sacraments, which are so wonderful. It's, it's like, it's not that it's just yeah. not that. And I think that p- part of it too, is we need to situate it within the setting of God's providence. So God sows, you know, seeds of glory among, you know, the members of his, his people, his holy people, in order that they might grow, but each according to its own logic. That's not to say that we're all unique individual butterflies and we have nothing to do with each other, but it is to say that God distributes his gifts unevenly, not because he is random or because he is arbitrary, but because he wants to kind of like see how they flourish each in their time. And so this person over here has, has received the mercy of God by way of innocence. I think of St. Aloysius Gonzaga, you know, um, and then this person over here may have received the mercy of God by way of repentance. And so they, they, they tell of God's glory in different ways, in different registers, in different kind of tonalities. And for us to accept the hand that we've been dealt and then seek to play it, that's a beautiful way to say, I see your ponderous mercy. It weighs upon me. And I want to I bear it up. You know, it's not just a matter of my willpower. It's a matter of recognizing how you're interacting with me so that I can respond more adequately to it, which I think, yeah, just to compare ourselves to Christ, not to compare ourselves to anybody else. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of, I guess, the the practical like decision making things here. And um, one stands out in so like I think we already laid out the the dynamic, right? That like yep. we receive Holy Communion when we're in a in a state of grace, and yep. we ought not receive Holy Communion when we're not in a state of grace. So if we're conscious of grave sin, we ought not receive Holy Communion. There are a few other things too, you know, like observing the one hour fast. If we are sipping on Starbucks during the homily, we should not be going up to receive Holy Communion. All right, everybody hear that? Stop drinking Starbucks in church. Uh, uh, but we're the, the I guess the, the real thing is, this is the question of sin. And, but really less the question of one-off kind of sin. That That's not what... I think bothers people. It's the question of habitual yeah. sin of when I have this habit of 
committing this sin, and let's let's like call a spade a spade. It's often sexual sin. Yep. Um, there are others, but that's by and large, you know, I think something that plagues a lot of people in a habitual way is what do I do then? Yeah. Um, because it's it's of often of a grave nature, but we know that habit in some way mitigates culpability to what degree that depends largely on sin. So what is your advice for, yeah, for how, how do people, how do we handle that? How do yeah, people yeah. handle that? Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, maybe to cast the net a little, a little widely at the outset, typical things that people would, you know, struggle with, uh, to use that word between, uh, quotation marks would be what, like, attending mass regularly on Sundays and holy days. Some people just aren't in the habit of doing it. They're kind of hot and cold when it comes to their church practice. So, you know, missing mass is a grave sin or receiving holy communion in a state of unworthiness is a grave sin. And a lot of people are in patterns of that without even rather, like really realizing mm-hmm. it. That's the type of thing where it's like you have to make a certain transition where you become the type of person who doesn't go to mass on vacation to the type of person who like lives on masstimes.org. That's a transition that needs to take place. God's giving you that grace. I can assure you of it. And that just has to happen. Right. So it's like the, our mentality has to change where it's like we might go to this place on vacation, but mass isn't available. And now that's a factor. You know, we might get dispensation from our pastor to miss mass on this particular Sunday, given the limitations, but we also might just go to another place because we've become the type of family who can't, who can't live otherwise. And then just thinking like maybe on the other side of the, the spectrum, thinking in terms of stealing, if you've stolen, if you've stolen, uh, <laughs> sweet Christmas, Gregory, if you've stolen something, uh, you're responsible for, for giving it back for restitution. And the sin persists until you've made restitution. So then, okay, say it's a big thing. You're just realizing this now that just sends your heart to the bottom of your stomach and you feel terrified because you realize everything that's gone between that's gone on between that act of theft and the present moment. And you're like, sweet Christmas. So uh, second use of sweet Christmas in a different context. Uh, so, so in that case, you have to confess it and then you have to work with the priest in the context of confession to move forward. It's like, okay, you're responsible for res- like restoring the whole of it and to do so proportionately, but you can do it like on a payment plan. You don't have to re- reveal your sin but you do have to repay it. Okay, so those would be like, it's not just about sexual sins, but it is often about sexual sins. Yeah, that's fair. So it's like divorced and remarried is a big one. And then the other one would be like habitual masturbation. And in those cases, a lot of people will say, you know, like in the case of the divorced and remarried, like your love now is sincere. Look at the children of your bond. It's important for them that you continue to share the marriage bed. No, that's not true, right? So you can live without sex. Your, your life is complicated by past decisions that you have made, but there's always a way forward and a way forward that, that can be in communion. And we can say more on that. That sounds harsh. That sounds uncompassionate. But yeah, we've said other things about that subject in past God's planning episodes, and maybe we follow up. And the other with, with masturbation, it's like you can get beyond this sin. You might fall, but it's possible for you to attain to sexual sobriety. And the fact that you abstain from receiving Holy Communion is a sign of hope, right? It's you're saying that I believe this is possible because sometimes priests will be like, Ah, it's just, it's tough, you know, but the sacrament of Holy Communion is for healing, so go ahead and heal. It's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) All right, so yeah, I don't know if you had other things in mind besides those two or things on those two that you No, I think that that spectrum that you laid out is, uh, and we could insert others on the spectrum too, of course. We don't need to enumerate for the sake of just enumerating. But um, yeah, my, my, I guess my thought on, I, I guess it's not a laying out. It's kind of another question here is like then time wise, because that's often something too that people are concerned. It's like, well, okay, I can abstain from receiving Holy Communion for a couple of weeks while, but like, what if this is years mm-hmm. that I'm struggling? What yeah. if, you know, that, and I don't, 
I think your point about abstaining from Holy Communion is as a sign of hope, as the engaging in the, re, not just a sign, but like engaging in the reality of hope is an important thing to point out that that dis, we don't get to manipulate the reality of God's grace and his offer and his gifts to suit our, to suit us. You know, it's an offer, it's an invitation to participate. Um, and sometimes there are hard, like, I don't want to just say like, it's the cross, but it is the cross. <laughs> and I don't mean that in the sense of like, ugh, just get over it because that's not what the cross is, but the cross of our lives of, of the particular crosses that, that we carry our struggle struggles, our demons. It's like, we can't get around them because there's no avoiding them because it's in a sense, it's who we are. But the beauty is that in who we are, it's only in and through who we are that Christ comes to save. So the sort of saying, well, this is tough or this is really difficult. And for all the reasons that we've already laid out, saying then, therefore, well, let me avoid the con one of the consequences. I'll just continue to receive Holy Communion because it's easier in ways. Or like we can kind of manipulate the reality of what of the effects of Holy Communion to say, oh, well, it's healing as well. We can't do that because that doesn't engage with reality. Yep. And if we don't engage with reality, then we can't actually cooperate and be moved by God's grace because we're living in a fantasy world in yep. that way, no matter the difficulty of it. And again, I don't, we don't, we're not downplaying that in any way, no matter the difficulty of our lives. Like if we're not ready to engage and enter in, in the hope of what Christ promises in the grace and glory of his sacraments, then we might as well just stop because nothing's going to change. Yeah because it's not going to change without him. And he doesn't operate on these sort of fanciful kind of ideas of what is and what should be. He, he is, and he is what should be. Um, so as, as difficult as a pill that as difficult as that, wow, English You're good. idioms, as difficult as that might be to swallow. Mm -hmm. And it's probably not a one and done thing. It's like, okay, my life is like, I've changed, you know, like, we have to beg God's like strength and grace and mercy in these things to recognize that, as you said before, it's his providence, it's his work, it's his desire for us. It's all, it's, it's him, mm -hmm. it's him. Um, and we can't run around that. So yeah, <laughs> praise God. Any final thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, rebuttals? Yeah. I think the last thing I want to say is, so thinking of um, like a man, for instance, who struggles with chronic masturbation, I think when you, when you realize the stakes of it, that helps you to motivate a response. So you realize, okay, the Lord offers us his body, blood, soul, and divinity, uh, but I can't receive at this point because of this, this sin. Um, do I desire him? Because it's not a matter of just rooting out sin. It's a matter of filling your life with the goodness of God, such that it crowds out the sin, which might otherwise occlude that relationship. And so when you see that, then you're like, okay, I need a life of prayer because that's the only way. I, you know, good content blockers are great and covenant eyes are great and accountability is great, but I need to motivate this response because I want to grow in desire. Life of prayer, boom, maybe a 12-step program, boom. Other things besides, and there are great resources, and we just had an, an, a guest planning episode with Father Sean Kilcally, who spoke about that, which was great. Um, but, but what we're talking about here is something that operates at the level of desire, at the level of love. And if we have a, yeah, a deeper appreciation of the love that our Lord shows forth, you know, like makes manifest and communicable in the sacrament, then that already begins to work on us so that we can respond. Yeah. In the end, Jesus loves you. He's calling you to greatness. It's pretty good. Mm. Let's go for it. Amen. Let's do it. <laughs> there we have it.
cool. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of God's Planning. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. If you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, follow the follow the link in the description. You can also follow the links in the description to shop God, God's Planning merchandise and to get information on upcoming events, including our men's retreat that is coming up at the end of the summer in North Carolina in mm-hmm. North Carolina. Uh, so check that out. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.